You are tuning into the podcast series, We Talk Cyber with Monica, a platform for engaging discussions and expert opinions on all things cyber. Check out more information on monicatalkscyber.com. Welcome to the podcast series, and let's hop right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you're joining in from today. Welcome to today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica Verma. Today, we have a very special episode because it's not just one, but we have two fantastic cybersecurity experts with us. We have a fantastic cybersecurity duo. They'll be introducing themselves and um, we'll just get right into it then. Hi, Jared. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? Hello. Hi, Monica. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Just a very quick introduction. Jeremiah, would you like to say a few words about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Jeremiah Grossman. I am currently the CEO of BitDiscovery. Uh, before BitDiscovery, I was the founder and CEO of White Hat Security. I've been in information security for about 20 years now. So it's all I really know, all I've really done. And um, these days, I, you know, I, I've traveled the I've traveled the world speaking on information security matters and mostly about application security. And what I really like doing is bringing you know solving problems and bringing data to the infosec world so we can make better decisions. Fantastic! We'll be talking about solving problems very soon, Robert. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, Robert Hansen, also known as Rsnake. Uh, I have been in computer security for 25 years now. Uh, so, like Jared, it's pretty much all I've done my adult career. Uh, I am currently the CTO of BitDiscovery, um, and like Jer, I, I find myself gravitating towards really complex problems that I haven't seen people solve, uh, just mm-hmm. kind of the nature of what I'm interested in, uh, and so that's kind of how we got started down this path. Lovely. Lovely to have both of you on the episode today, and you guys both touched on a very important topic today, which is solving problems. So let's get right into it. One of the biggest problems that we have in our industry, we don't know where assets are. Why is it so? And why is it important to know that? I'll jump in first. I think, you know, if you look at every security standard, every policy, if you ask any expert, the first thing you're supposed to do is find what it is you're supposed to be protecting. Find your assets, find your data and start there. Um, for whatever reason, it seems information security went forward without doing that exercise. And what I found over my career, usually the last 10, is that the vast majority of organizations really don't know what they have connected to the Internet. And when they get hacked, often enough, it's by an asset, a website, a mail server, a DNS server that they didn't know they own. And so that problem I wanted to solve because everybody had it. It was the cause of many compromises. And then... Uh, Robert, of course, just happened to be working on the technology <laughs> of the same problem. Yeah, I, and I had been working on it for, in one form or another, intellectually, mm-hmm. not necessarily hands-on keyboard, uh, for probably about twenty years um, at that point. And it was it was one of those beginning foundational things that I'm just like, I don't, I wish I knew where everything was. Uh, and mm-hmm. search engines seem like kind of a bad way to do that. Um, and uh, the other problem with search engines is they find the most popular things as opposed to the things that are unpopular, which is the stuff mm-hmm. I'm usually after. Uh, as an adversary is what I'm typically looking for is the admin right. consoles or the test servers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we started down the path um, a handful of years back of just starting to collect a lot of data, uh, just a ton and a ton and a ton of data and starting to aggregate it in a really intelligent way that I hadn't seen mm-hmm. done before. 
and uh, finally made it possible about, uh, I don't know, Jared, a couple of years back, three years, I don't can't remember how long ago it's been. <laughs> and I just have to brag today because we came with a number from, from engineering and I was just responding. Mm-hmm. What was this number, Robert? We're transferring in and out of the system right now out of bit discovery, 800 terabytes per day now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So much data. And, and actually that's, that it is, it's going to ramp up here very, very quickly. Uh, that's just a temporary thing. So, so the internet is, big, but that's what you need to solve this problem. That's what you need. <laughs> But yeah. why is it so difficult? Is it because of the huge among us amount of data? Is that the key issue here? Or why is it that the organization basically lack the capability of doing this? It's a good question. It's both uh, technological, but there's another little nuance to it. Robert can talk to technology. But mm-hmm. if for, all, for a practical matter, you can download large swaths of the internet. You know, You can touch every IP, get all the DNS data, get all the technology stack data, and you have big data problems. Mm-hmm. But if you say this company owns this asset, it's difficult for to go from a notion of ownership to everything else that they own. The Internet doesn't work that way. It's just a loose connection of IPs and domain names. And so mm-hmm. what you need is to figure out a way to infer ownership, because if you don't know what you own, you can't do an inventory. Right, right. Yeah, and um, I wouldn't call this exactly a technical problem. It's more of a human problem where mm-hmm. you have a company that, may have existed for 10 years or something. And you had a bunch of companies that have worked with them in the past, like marketing organizations or consulting agencies or whatever, who have built an infrastructure for them in one form Mm -hmm. or another. And for a variety of reasons, those companies have either been acquired or left uh, through attrition or been fired or whatever. And then you have people inside the company who have all been similarly left, fired, whatever, um, Mm -hmm. come and go. And then also people are just forgetful. They build things and they're like, oh, I built that little test thing and I just sort of forgot it's there. Didn't remember. Just didn't remember. Didn't remember that existed, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not even like they're, they're it's not like anyone's trying to be malicious and it's, and I think everyone is trying to individually be careful. Right. But after a while, it becomes untenable, um, especially when you're working with third parties, especially when you acquire a company and lay half the staff off. Mm-hmm. Um, and in big companies, which really it's when I, once a company reaches about 100 employees uh, or has over 100 domains, either of those metrics is when I start seeing infrastructure starting to get really fragile and frail and, you know, things start kind of breaking on the edges. You know, the main stuff's still really rock solid, but everything on the edges starts falling off and gets worse. Right. Time. Right. So I think that's largely a human problem, not necessarily a technical one. And how many times have you experienced, because I have seen this so many times, so many pen tests reports and so many audit reports that come and then you find out something is wrong and you're like, oh, wait, wait a second. We had that asset. I didn't even know that existed. Where where did it come from in the first place? Yeah. Go ahead, Robert. You work with companies every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd say like when we, we do, we have a little demo we give people, it takes like half hour. And we, mm-hmm. so we just load in their stuff. We're like, yeah, what do you want to check? And they usually want to check their stuff. It's like, okay, here's your stuff. And there it is. And the first thing they're always blown away is how quickly we do it. Uh, but then the second mm-hmm. problem is then they actually look at what we've just done. They're like, oh, no. Right. What is that? Like, what is that server doing there? What is that even? What is that? Click why on that. Why is it even there? Like, and then why is that on the internet? Oh, no. Oh, you, you I wonder how long that's been out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, for most of our... For, Robert and I, for most of our careers, we're finding vulnerabilities in websites or vulnerabilities in systems. And mm-hmm. you disclose a vulnerability and they do this, this, oh my God, you know, look how many vulnerabilities they are. 
we're kind of in the same space when we're in asset inventory, but right. the whole system itself, the whole asset is a vulnerability. Like it shouldn't be there. Right, right. Hmm. Every every asset that's connected to a network, right, is a potential point on the attack surface. It's just, it's just increasing your attack surface or making it more complicated. But then also one of the things that I've noticed is that people don't really know what an asset is. How do you define an asset? Number one, what is an asset? Two, how do I define or know that is an asset that I own? So that's a, Robo had more to add on this one. So we take the definition of asset rather loosely because it's a, it's a fungible term. The way we mm -hmm. define it is a domain name or a host name combined with an IP address. Right. We take, you know, something externally accessible over the internet. That's as far as we want to take it. Otherwise, the definitions get really, really complicated. And then there are many different ways to infer ownership from, if you say you own this one, then we can infer different relationships on, is the domain name the same owner? Is, are you on the same IP range? Do you have the mm -hmm. same copyright? This, perhaps even the same Google Analytics ID, you know, key, something like that. It's difficult to know from a legal sense that they actually own it, but there are indicators that you can infer ownership between assets. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And one more comment about the asset. It's it's actually a really tricky problem because if you go into a big company and they'll say, okay, mm -hmm. we own this IP range, which is a really terrible way to think about what you own in many ways, but they're sort of stuck in the legacy network architecture world mm -hmm. where there is no such thing as virtual hosts in their, in their mind. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but so we'll ask them, okay, what's, what's your IP range then? And they'll give us an IP range. And it's like, well, every single uh, IP in that IP range is something you own and is technically an asset. Even if there's nothing pointing to it, it's still there. It's still something that could turn on. So mm -hmm. if you want us to check that thing, even though it's not turned on, we can do that because at one point it might become bad. Uh, you can also run into situations where everything's sort of uh, coming to a single machine. So it's like mm -hmm. there's a hundred different IPs pointing at one machine. Is that a hundred assets or is that one asset? Um, right. And each each time you connect to it, it could actually elicit different application logic depending on the different host headers you send, for instance, or different path. Mm -hmm. um, and behind that one IP, there might be a thousand machines or something all doing different things, all with different code on them. So it's, it's actually a very, very tricky problem. Right. So then from a business perspective, because this is complicated, this is not easy. Business and organizations don't really understand that. They, I mean, almost every organization is having a CMDV and that's where they start and that's where it probably ends. So what is one question? And I would like to hear from both of you on that. What is one question you would like businesses to ask? How do they start when they're looking into asset discovery, asset inventory? Oh, that's a really good question. You want to start with that one, Robert? That's a good one, actually. <laughs> I think the number one question is a very simple sounding thing, but it's actually really complicated how you get there. Mm -hmm. How many assets do we own? If you what? can't answer that question and not roughly like oh, about a thousand or something, if you can't answer mm -hmm. the real number, that means that whoever gave you that answer didn't, doesn't know. And if they right. don't know, that means they don't have anything uh, or they're taking just wild guesses based on speculation, based on some smaller set, subset or something. Uh, anytime you see a round number, you know, someone's got something up their sleeve. Um, mm -hmm. So I would just want to know, hey, how many assets do we have? And right. usually I'll ask them the question. 
not all the time, but quite frequently, we'll ask the question on demos. We'll say, okay, how much do you think you owe before we start this test? Just, right. just give us a number. What do you think? And they'll mm-hmm. usually say whatever, you know, 5,000 or something. We'll come back and it's like, no, it's actually 7,000. And they're like, that's a lot more than I thought. Um, at least they were in the right order of magnitude, but still like wildly mm-hmm. way, way, way off. Or in some cases, we ran into one very large organization and they thought they had about 100,000 assets. They really had mm-hmm. 1.9 million. And uh, they've subsequently gone up to closer to 3 million. And so that is wow. not even close to 100,000. Not, that's, right? Mm-hmm. That's... Uh, the one, the one warning I think we should give people, Robert, is that when you start, when you ask the development manager and then the IT manager and then the CISO, <laughs> you'll get every different answer. They will not agree. They won't even be close. That's absolutely And this true. is the nature of the problem right. because they might all be wrong. They might all be right from their individual perspective. That's why this is thorny. So when I recommend, you know, people do, at least if mm-hmm. you're concerned about an external adversary, Look at it from the attacker's point of view. How many assets do you have from the way they'll look at your organization? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a better way to mm-hmm. phrase it. Yeah, I'm, that's a very good point. As as a pen tester for many, many, many years, um, I I am certainly interested in the internal environment. If someone gives me access to their internal environment, I'll absolutely mm-hmm. crush them. Right? No, no problem. But the question is, well, how did I get there? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, mm-hmm. I'm already in your environment. Am I, am I one of your employees? Am I pretending to be one of your employees? Cause when did you hire uh, a hacker as one of your employees? Right. Like, is that a thing that's happening? Uh, or did you get malware on there? But how did that malware get there? Like, mm-hmm. like it's always missing that one step. Like, well, how did this occur where this thing happened? So a more um, accurate way to think about it is we'll start from the outside. If you can get mm-hmm. from the outside to the inside, then you got big problems because the inside is always mush. Uh, but uh, you have to start from the outside. You have to look at it from the outside at least once. A, a really thorough understanding, though, not just kind of cursory, because it's all that stuff in the non-contiguous IP space that's always just people forget about. Like there's a WordPress instance that's sitting over on WP Engine or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, if I can compromise that thing, well, your passwords are probably the same there as they are on your corporate environment, and I can just right. pivot over there. And so. So you said that you've been solving this problem now, Robert, for 20 years. That's a long right. time. That's right. a long time. Right. I had a lot of false starts between here and there. Like, like uh, I went down the road of doing DNS enumeration. Um, so I wrote a tool called Fierce, which is currently in Backtrack. Right. And it's it's crappy. It's bad code. Um, but <laughs> at the at the time, it was the best thing that was out there. It was there was really nothing that that did what I w- needed to do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now in retrospect, looking back, it had all the problems. I knew it had pro- a bunch of problems and now we've finally solved all those problems, but boy, right. it was, it was bad, bad, bad. But the, but it solved the problem I had at the time, which is companies would come to me and say, well, how many assets? Well, they'd, they'd ask the question, uh, what, what are you going to be pen testing? I'm not, and I'd say the question back, like, well, what do you have? And they're like, mm-hmm. aren't you the hacker? Aren't you supposed to know what we have? I'm like, well, I guess I could Probably try more to brute force all your DNS, you know, and, uh, so I, that's mm. what I ended up doing. Right. Um, so you said that you solved this problem, right? And I, I guess if I ask you the question, how you solved the problem, that would be probably a long conversation. So let's maybe ask a different way. Let me rephrase the question. <laughs> how would an asset inventory tool typically work? Where would it start? What would it start looking for? How would it start congregating all these different assets that are out there? Just very basics. Well, 
there's probably a hundred different ways to solve it, and mm-hmm. most of those ways will lead. How did to you guys animals. figure it out? Yeah, I, I, actually, let me start with this story. So, sure. um, I'm at White Hat Security, and frequently our customers would say, "We want you to scan all of our websites," and we're like, "Great, give us the list." They never have a list of all their websites. And we tried many, many times at at, uh, at White Hat to solve this problem, and they always failed for a variety of reasons. Usually, it means you give the tool a little bit of seed data, an IP range, a domain name, a host name, and you try to scan and scour the internet. Mm-hmm. And you always come up empty, false positives, false negative, things like that. So it never really worked. So so one day, we're running a, uh, one of our uh, White Hat events called Hacker Combat. It's kind of like our version of Capture the Flag. And I kind of made this offhanded comment to Robert. And I go, you know what we could really use? We just really need like a copy of the internet so we don't have to scan. We could just like query the database of the internet. And I, I was just half joking, right? And Robert has a way of taking me seriously sometimes. So like a year later, he comes back and goes, okay, I did it. I'm like, what did, what did you do? I, I downloaded the internet. We can do the asset inventory thing. Started there. So the way, you know, in general terms, the way we did it, the way we look at it, we tried mm-hmm. to download everything. So rather than scan, we query right. That's, so you basically made a snapshot of internet. Yeah, and that's that's why people are really blown away by how fast we can do it. It's because we're not do, we're not going out and pulling a bunch of stuff. We're just like looking in our own database, um, which means our database has to be very, very, very well optimized for this task. It, we can't just throw everything into a you know MySQL database and hope that we can query right. it. That would take that would take a month to get the data back. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, most of the time, we can build an asset inventory for somebody in a few minutes. Fantastic. That sounds like really you put like a lot of effort in building that snapshot. So it's mm-hmm. much more faster and optimized. So how do you do delta? How do you do delta snapshots from one snapshot to the new one? Because internet is changing all the time. Yeah, that's your. That's what we do. We grab another snapshot. <laughs> uh, we just keep downloading. But do you do delta uh, or do you do like a full scan every time? Full scan. Everything. Oh, you, you'll probably have to describe how we get the data because it's not just us. Right. Yeah. Oh, we we have yeah we have uh, over four hundred different data sources that we pull from, right. um, and but we also query a huge amount of the data. In fact, the bulk of the data ourselves, um, because what I found is <clears throat> every one of those data sources are they're good, they're very useful, but they're all wrong. Um, and mm-hmm. worse than being wrong is they're wrong in very deceptive ways that unless you really understand the shape and under, really understand what's going on under the hood of the internet, it'll look mm-hmm. correct. It, it like, it'll, that's correct, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So we, we, the really the bulk of our system, the bulk of the complexity of our system is taking a bunch of disparate data sources, analyzing what we, what we think of the internet and mm-hmm. narrowing that scope down to something that actually makes sense from a customer's perspective and happens to be true. Right. right. That is, that is the biggest complexity. Downloading the internet's easy. I mean, there's a bunch of different mm-hmm. companies that do very similar things. Um, it, I know that sounds crazy, but it really isn't. Uh, it's just a bunch of bandwidth and a bunch of nodes sitting on the internet, querying stuff, pulling stuff in and aggregating it. That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. The hard part is sorting it and making, uh, divining wisdom from all of that data. That is right, making it valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from a business perspective, Jar, how, so, okay, I'm a CEO or a business leader from organization. I have now been contacted by you guys. I understand that I don't know how many assets I have. You tell me, blow, blow my mind away. Tell me, oh, you could find it for me. Fantastic. 
now I have at least a copy or a list of my inventory, asset inventory from you guys. How do I increase the visibility into my asset? Is it just that you start with asset inventory? Is that it? Or what are the key elements into ensuring that I have continued visibility into my environment and assets? The way to look at it is there are reasons you want an asset inventory in the first place. And there actually mm -hmm. comes to be a lot of use cases. One is plainly for security, perhaps even vulnerability assessment. You could need it for third-party risk management, for mergers and acquisitions, mm -hmm. or um, what would be the word? for cyber insurance and the incident response and the list goes on. So it's important start to start with the business case rather than the technology itself. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if the mandate, let's say from industry compliance says, you must scan everything, you know, whatever the case, whatever everything is. Until you have an asset inventory, you can't claim that you're scanning even something remotely is anything. Hmm. But that's, I would suggest starting from that point is the use case, the business value prop, rather than just the inventory itself, which sounds like a good idea, but it's serving a larger need. Right. Yeah, and, and many other things like that, like uh, basic compliance needs. I, I need to know what software we're running because we pay XYZ vendor for however many instances of that software we use. Mm -hmm. Or we have to be GDPR compliant, which means our legal team needs to look at every single one of the websites and make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Have they? Uh, mm -hmm. Do they even know where they all are? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, we have insurance. We need to buy insurance. Like, well, we need an asset inventory just to figure out what we're insuring. Like, what are we, what are we trying to, what, right. what is the policy supposed to look like? Is, should we buy it this big or this big? You know, we have no idea what's out there. And, and there's one more that's easy to miss is that usually when you say, tell people about asset inventory or they're interested in it, they're interested for asset inventory on themselves and not necessarily for a third party. Mm -hmm. which is really valuable. If you're looking to do business with a third party, a partner to an acquisition, you could do an mm -hmm. asset inventory on someone else. And that's the cool part about our data. It's all technically speaking, public data. It's all OSINT. That's mm -hmm. all. It is. We just happen to make it easy and accessible. Right. Right. That uh, M&A one is really interesting too, from a business finance perspective, because mm -hmm. if you look at the inventory of somebody else and it turns out it's wildly way bigger than they thought it was, well, maybe you don't negotiate so hard because you know you're getting a much better value than they realize. Or mm -hmm. if you want to knock the price down a little bit, you can go and find a bunch of crap that's out of date, whatever, and say, hey, well, this would cost us you know, $10 million to retrofit all this garbage you've got out in your environment. Mm -hmm. We want to knock the price down by that amount. So you could actually make a huge amount of money for a very low investment, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's actually way bigger than that. It's not solving asset inventory. It's actually solving a lot of problems that businesses have through asset inventory. Yeah. yeah. We, we, um, sorry, Robert. We, we came across this by mistake, actually. We're from a security background, so we were mm -hmm. just looking at this from a security perspective. When we started showing BitDiscovery around, everybody else brought us these use cases and said, hey, you right. know, I can use it for this, and I can use it for that, and I can use it for that. And we're like, those are interesting, and we just started Fantastic. building on the product that way. Yeah, I was going to say one of the use cases I went down very early on was uh, market predictions. Uh, it turns out that certain types of companies telegraph how much money they're about to be making by virtue of what their infrastructure looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a little bit of work. Uh, you really have to narrow down the scope of what you're looking at. But <clears throat> I started doing like overlapping least square regressions on you know infrastructure as it evolves over time compared against stock prices. And it turns out it correlates, uh, like in some cases, pretty well. Um, it just depends on the, the company.
Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I think it's really, really amazing what you guys are doing. And as I said, I'm really amazed by the fact that even though you took it from one perspective, it kind of like solves a broader issue for many businesses and organizations. So I would like both of you to just give your closing statement, one key message that you would like to just convey to businesses or our audience. Jared, we'll start with you. Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot without giving me a chance to think about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one core message. I think from all the things that I've, uh, I've learned over time and in my InfoSec career, we can spend and we do spend a lot of money on information security. Mm-hmm. I think to the tune of $100 billion a year. Perhaps not all of it is well spent. And we are always trying to make ourselves a little bit more secure, a little bit more secure to keep the bad guys away. But what I found more often than not, what makes a difference between someone that gets hacked in a big way and suffers a major loss than someone that gets hacked the exact same way and suffers a minor loss is to be able to quickly detect what it is that's been hacked and be able to respond to it. Mm -hmm. The time time to detection matters a great deal. And fortunately fortunately for, for us, bit discovery can play a part in that world. If you know what you own, you can more you can better monitor those systems and go, I own that, it got hacked, let's get on it. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's gonna get hacked. We're all just one click away from compromise. So we can find it and put a stop to it. That uh that puts us in a much better place. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you, Robert. I will choose a much less wordy uh closing statement here. Uh, okay. <clears throat> you can't secure you can't secure what you don't know. Oh That's there you go. Makes perfect sense. Thank yep. you so much. It was lovely having you both today on the podcast. <laughs> I think I think it's like, even though we're talking about a technical thing, the fact that we talk about business and how it really affects the business and organization, that's what really gives value to it. So it's amazing to have both of you here. I'm always amazed by the kind of work that you guys do. A true inspiration. That was all for today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. I'm your host. We had amazing guests today. As I said, fantastic cybersecurity duo. Please continue tuning in. I'll be back with more episodes. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to We Talk Cyber with Monica, a platform for engaging discussions and expert opinions on all things cyber. Check out more information and episodes on monicatalkcyber.com. Do not forget to subscribe to Monica Talk Cyber on YouTube and Instagram, and follow us on Montalk Cyber on Twitter. Stay tuned, and we'll be back with more episodes very soon.